fortunate to have Kobe Carl on today's podcast. Carl is the head coach of the South Bay Lakers, the G League affiliate of the Los Angeles Lakers. Prior to coaching, Carl played professional basketball in the NBA, D League, and in Europe. As a lot of you know, Carl started at Boise State in college, where he averaged more than 13 points per game for his career. Coach Carl, thanks for talking some basketball with us today. How's everything in Boise? Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, it's great. It's uh, been a fun summer. Obviously, a little little different with the pandemic and uh, the social unrest. But, you know, I think for me, it's it's been a pleasure to be around my family for this long. I, I haven't had this since probably my early years of high school. So do you have any responsibilities for the Lakers? Uh, is there anything that you have to do in your responsibilities as, as the coach of the South Bay Lakers? No, I'm pretty much a fan right now. Just, you know, I'll stay in touch with some of the coaching staff and talk to them uh, just about basketball stuff and what they're going through and, and some of the players that uh, I have relationships with or have coached in the past. Um, but no, no definitive re- uh, responsibilities for, for the South Bay Lakers. Our staff meets once a week. We've been doing book clubs and we'll be doing some projects in a couple of weeks after we're finishing up with our last, last book. And then uh, as well, we started this week uh, with some, some scouting for the the upcoming draft we don't have definitive responsibilities with the lakers but we will have some input on some of you know the second not necessarily second round but the guys who don't go don't get drafted the uh what we call exhibit 10 uh where we'll offer them a contract to come to training camp and then if 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 they choose they can come play with us in the g league if you don't mind me asking what are some of the books that you've uh, been been reading yeah, so the first one, uh, I've never done it before, obviously, for those, <laughs> you know, interesting kind of times call for interesting things, or at least uh, to change. And so the first one we read was um, Blind Your Ponies, which is a, which is a fictional book. Uh, it's pretty big, based on a, a high school team in a small town in Montana, which was really fun to read. Uh, Coach Phil Jackson recommended that to me for our staff to read. Uh, I don't read a lot of fiction, so it was, it was really fun to, to dive into uh, a lot of good stories and memories from high school basketball. And then the one we're reading currently, uh, which is a very applicable to what I believe for, for coaches, is uh, The Inner Game of Tennis, which uh, discusses, uh, you know, if you're familiar with it, discusses, you know, what we do have control of, our focus and, and, and how, we, how we train our focus uh, when it comes to playing a sport, but obviously – uh, adds perspective for for coaches. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is is uh, I was in preparing for this. I was watching a profile it was from Sport, Spectrum Sportsnet that went through kind of about 15 minutes of your life as a G League coach. And so one of the clips in there said that your mom didn't want you to get into coaching. So I have to ask, uh, why did you get into coaching? Well, I love. I mean, to be honest, uh, basketball was my really my only community that I grew up with and uh because we moved so much I didn't I we had my family obviously but then after that I didn't have an extended family or um you know too many lifelong friends because we were moving so much so basketball has been been my life for for a lot of my life and uh it's just it's what I know it's what I'm very comfortable with I, I love what it's what it the things that it can bring um, and the special things that that come, uh, the vehicle that it provides for for people to grow and also to um, to to get new opportunities that that weren't always given to them. 
And so one of the things that the profile starts with or uh, includes is your emphasis that you place on your family and kind of, I guess, compartmentalizing the idea of being a coach and then being a, a father and a husband. And then, you know, one of the interesting things is your wife basically says when you come home uh, after a game, maybe after a loss, like you can't really, really tell. So coaching at every level can be pretty hard and uh, even if you're winning. So I was wondering, how do you separate those two very big aspects of your life? Well, I think it's something just that I, I was very aware of as a child because my dad was not as good at that. And so uh, I learned to, you know, how to act when we win, how to act when my dad's team lose. And, and that took an emotional toll on me and our family. And it affected, it affected us in a negative way. And I, from what I've learned is I, I didn't feel like it was a necessary thing. I think, you know, uh, to be present when we're competing and, and be completely focused on, on the task at hand, that's very important. But uh, to believe that going home and affecting our family in a negative manner or, uh, you know, having anger or frustration is going to help us win the next game, I think is naive. And so for me, I just, I, I, I wanted it to be different. I wanted it to be, it's a huge part of my life. It always will be basketball, but it's not going to, it's not going to take over the most important thing in my life, which is my family and, and, and my, my wife and my kids. So uh, we had Alan Stein on a couple of weeks ago and he kind of adheres to like being present with whatever you're doing at that moment. Is that something that you kind of believe in as, as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, some of, some of the, some of the philosophies that I've kind of dove into uh, ha has been one is stoicism has really affected my life in the last five years. And, you know, the basic tenets of it are, are to control what you can control and ignore the other stuff. Uh, and build capacity to be ready for some difficult times rather than complain about those difficult times. Uh, and then uh, I've also studied Buddhism and mindfulness, uh, which is, which is, you know, wholeheartedly involved in, in just being present here right now uh, with, with in this moment um, and not worrying about the future, not worrying about the past because the only control we have is, is right here. One of the things that I remember as a Boise State alum is when you were coming to Boise State, obviously there was a lot of, I guess, media around it because uh, you were George Carl's kid. But I think one of the things I feel is that you became Kobe Carl kind of during that time. Obviously, it's still evolving. But I guess to say you, you became one heck of a basketball player. At that time, you were also dealing with, uh, with cancer. So how did that Boise State experience influence how you are now as a person, do you think? Well, I'm, I'm still living in Boise, so I think it's affecting my life, you know, greatly. Uh, one, just just getting to know the city of Boise and, and finding a home after so many years of moving and so many different situations in my life. Uh, it's been nice to have a have a home, which I love. And then, you know, in terms of my basketball career and then obviously growing up as a man and, and a young man, it was... I mean, it, it changed everything for me because I, I was going in. I never really thought or never knew that if I could play in the in Division One basketball. You know, I was a, a pretty good high school player, but I wasn't great. Um, you know, I, I ended up being first team all-conference my senior year, but I wasn't player of the year. We, we didn't win any championships. So um, I just came in with the mindset of 
I'm going to try, you know, I, I wanted the opportunity to, to work and learn and compete. And, uh, and to be honest, I, I got my ass kicked my freshman year when I was a red shirt, you know, walk on and, you know, Brian DeFerris, Joe Skiffer, like these guards, uh, CJ Williams was, a, was a senior that year. They were just stronger than me, better than me, more mature. And so it gave me this opportunity to grow and, and really reflect and, and figure out what I needed to do to, to be the player that I wanted to be. And, uh, you know, a lot of that went into being getting in the weight room and, and maturing um, physically and then also learning how to be a better teammate in terms of taking better shots and, and learning how to win. I think Joe Skiffer and Brian DeFerris are two, two of my favorite teammates, and they, they really weren't great basketball players, but they were winners. They, they knew how to play defense. Uh, they knew how to make the big play when it mattered. They knew how to get to the free throw line. You know, like all these simple things that I had to learn. So uh, the opportunity that I got at Boise State was was everything for me because I just wasn't sure if I was ever going to get an opportunity to play at the D1 level. So that idea of taking adversity and uh, using it as something to learn from and to grow from, was that something that just came natural to you or or was that something that people that say like, Hey, let's, uh, let's take this experience of you getting your butt kicked in practice and, and use that, uh, to make yourself a better player. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I, right now I could say it, it, it seemed like it was pretty natural. Uh, I think it's easy to say from, from here, but that, those were difficult times for me. I remember, you know, calling home crying to my dad after an open gym because I got, a, I was there for an hour and a half and I, and there was a lot of guys there. So I think I played two games total. I played one game, we got our ass kicked and I was out. And then I played another game, you know, and, and I just didn't feel like I was good enough. So I think it's just one of those things. I wanted it really bad. Like I grew up around the game of basketball and I wanted to be a really good player. I wanted to be part of a team. Um, and it meant a lot to me to be, to be on a team and help win. Uh, like a, it was always something important in our family to, to, to put effort into winning. And um, so I think it's more maybe a survival mechanism uh, when I was younger is I just wanted to be part of that team and I wanted to help and I wanted to find ways to do what the people ahead of me were doing or the, the people uh, in our conference, the, the elite players in our conference were doing. I wanted to, to play against them. I wanted to have that experience. I guess now that you're a coach, how do you use or how do you explain that idea of embracing adversity to grow from to to some of your players? I don't know if you, it's a, it's it's something that you can explain. I think it's it's a it's for us as coaches, it's it's our opportunity to put them in situations to fail and then challenge them to be resilient. You know, challenge them to have the courage to step back on the playing field and try again. Um, so, you know, I think when you try to verbalize it and, and define it, I think it becomes a very difficult, obscure thing. I think you have to, you got to put them in a, put our, put our players in situations where they're going to fail and they need to figure out how to, how to learn from those situations. And, and I do believe in natural learning. So the more that we can put our, our players in situations to, to figure it out, I think fail is a, is not a word not the best word, but I think figuring it out as they go, complex situations, difficult situations, is how do I figure out, how do I use what I have and my teammates and, and the structure that we're playing within? How do we, how do we use these things to um, put ourselves in situations to be successful? The G League used to be called the D League, the D standing for developmental. 
obviously developmental for players, but also for coaches. You look at all the coaches that have gone through the G League or the D League. I was just wondering, what are some methods that you use now to evaluate your development as a coach? I think relationships is is probably one. Uh, you know, like uh, I have some really strong relationships from from my past, so I think that's one thing that I look at is is did I establish a relationship or a respect level with with people and, and my staff that works with me as well as my players, and can can I have honest conversations with them? Can can we catch up and and talk life and basketball. I, I think that's one thing. Um, I think the, the other thing is, is uh, efficiency of time. Are we teaching our team in the most efficient manner? Uh, I think something that stuck with me when I was a player was one of my player development coaches who worked with my father was John Welsh. And he was pointing out the fact that any player development coach or any coach can make guys sweat, get tired, throw up, you know, whatever you want to do, you, it, that's not the goal. The goal is to, to help them improve and help them build confidence. And, um, you know, for, for me is looking at that. And then obviously, uh, statistically, you can look at your record and, and figure out, you know, some of that's built on, you know, how good your team is and how good the players are. But you can look at statistics, offensive ratings and, and defensive ratings. And, you know, to be honest, that's one thing I've looked at and reflected on during this time is, is I need to be a better defensive coach to give our team better opportunities to win more games. So I think it's some of them are the simpler ones where it's statistics. Uh, and then some of them are the more, to me, profound ones where, uh, where are you, am I holding myself to the standard that I, I believe is important? And, and that's to give, to maintain relationships with our players to build better human beings and, and help them um, be as good as they can be. I was reading an article yesterday, actually, about uh, the Chicago Bulls and, and what they're looking for in their next coach. And it pointed out like three things. Obviously, there's a bunch of other attributes that they're going to be looking for in that coach. But the three main things that uh, the general manager listed or the vice president, whatever it is, he identified player development, good communicator, and then putting relationships first. The first two probably make a lot of sense to people, but that idea of building a meaningful relationship versus, I guess, maybe say like a transactional relationship, that might surprise people that that's very important at at the professional level. So from your experience as a player and a coach, why would a team emphasize this as as important? So that's funny you you asked that question because that's actually the reason I got into coaching was I was playing and I was still playing at a pretty high level, actually a really high level within my career. But throughout my career, getting up to the end, because the, the very end of my career was very enjoyable for me. But before that, I had some coaches where my relationship wasn't great. I didn't feel like people understood me. Uh, you know, they kind of just looked at the statistics and the way I played and, and didn't really get to know me as a human being. So I felt like with the coach, the good coaches that I did have, and, you know, my dad being one of them, Phil Jackson being one of them, I always felt like there was something bigger to the game of basketball than the statistical analysis or what I can do as a player. It was more, how do you fit into what we're doing as a family? And, and I think the, the base of that is, is getting to know someone as a human being and getting to know uh, what makes them happy, what makes them sad, what frustrates them what helps them grow. And I think uh, it's just, to me, that's, it's a natural thing. And uh, like you said, maybe 
uh, at the professional level, it's looked at as transactional. And, and I think to a certain extent it is because there, it is wins and losses. It is a business, but I think we're starting to understand uh, science has proven it through many studies and psychology has proven it uh, for years is, is if you can make someone feel valued uh, like they're a piece of the team and, and they're very important to you and, and you can um, talk to them and understand who they are, they're going to be, they're going to perform at a higher level. So uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is something that has been around for a long, long time. But I think when you look at that is, is providing a, an environment of stability and comfort, and then also adding some, some purpose for these people, uh, for our players, like th- these are just the basic needs for human beings. And the more that we can provide these things, the more opportunity that, that uh, we're going to allow them to be successful. One of the things that I've found is that, and I used to coach boys too, but, and I'm not saying all boys coaches are like this, but a lot of boys coaches like, like this idea of connecting with the human side, but they just don't know how to do it. So like at the professional level, like how, how are you connecting with, uh, with your players? Well, I think that's a, a great point you make and, and something that I'm not great at. You know, I'm not, it's, uh, uh, basketball was kind of the language that I spoke growing up. I wasn't, I didn't have great relationships because I didn't grow up with uh, the same kids throughout my, my life. And, uh, you know, learning how to trust people was something that was difficult for me throughout those, those travels. Um, so it's something that I've put a lot of work in is, um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is listen, you know, can I listen to the, this, this person in front of me and, and hear what they're saying and not just hear the words, but pay attention to the nuances of what, what they've been through and um, have empathy for, for their, for the world that they've come from, because we're all so different. And I think we're seeing that with the social injustice that's coming to come into a head for us as a country is that empathy and that compassion to, to really hear someone else's story so I think that's one thing. I, I forgot the genesis of this question. What what was it? Well, basically just some things that you do to connect, oh, yeah. like some actual actual things. Yeah, it, you know, I think, like I said, that's the one thing is just just being able to listen to another person in front of you. But that's individual, right? And then the, uh, from a team component, that's that's much different because I have to be the leader of our team, and uh, we have at times thirteen players and eight staff members, and you can't take time for each one of them you know like i said my family's more important to me than each individual person so it has to be a group effort so some of the things that we've done over the years uh and it is very important to me is we'll do like these little techniques or not techniques but exercises with our team for example one is we call it the family tree so when when we cut our 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 final cut for our roster and we have our final roster uh, we'll go each individual staff member and player will go through, you get a minute on the whiteboard and you go through your family tree. So you tell everyone in the room, your mom's name, your dad's name, if you have a mom and dad and, or who, whatever that means to you, because family's different for everyone, brothers, sisters, cousins, uh, wife, kids. And, you know, so that's just one basic way to get to know someone beyond just the transactional experience. Another thing that we'll do is on bus trips every once in a while, probably once every third bus trip, we'll, we'll do something where I got these cards off of Amazon. They're called big talk cards and there's about 250 deep questions. So, you know, for example, one of the questions would be, 
if you could create your own country, what would it look like? And you get, a, and we would go through every person on the bus, again, staff and players included, and we get to hear, you know, obviously you're going to get their variations. We have a 35-year-old player on our team, Andre Ingram, who's very wise and, and thoughtful, who's, who's actually going to think about it. And then you're going to get your 21-year-old kid who's, who's thinking about video games and women. So, so you get variations, but it gives, it gives guys an opportunity and it gives us as a staff to understand better and learn about who these, who these people are. So those are a couple of them that come to mind. Uh, one I stole from Coach Rice at Boise State is uh, the five H's. So going through having the players go through their history, their heartaches, their heroes. Um, so it's history, heartaches, heroes. And there's two more H's, hopes, and then highlights. So you go through all five of those things and, you know, I led by doing it first and I had a PowerPoint. And so we, we did a couple of guys last year. Andre Ingram had a great PowerPoint, but you get to know these people at a deeper level and uh, giving them the opportunity to kind of understand who, who we are as a group and, and how we can come together better. One of the things that you've talked about here and then also that I saw in that Sportsnet profile was your belief that oftentimes less is more. In regard to communicating with your player, what makes for a good communicator with kind of this idea of less is more? I don't know if less is more applies to communication because I, I think the number one thing is being present uh, when, when you're communicating and, and understanding and listening and, and seeing someone. I think clarity is really important for communication, especially in a group setting. Uh, in a group setting, communicating with my team, I think simplicity is, is very important. Uh, because uh, as we've all seen as coaches, it's very difficult to get 10 people, 15 people to listen, depending on your age. It doesn't matter for us. Like we're, we're, we're coaching professionals, but still it's very difficult for these guys to listen for a long time. They're, they're athletic, they're kinesthetic learners. They're, they're trying to, they want to play, they want to compete. That's what they're out there to do. So it's hard to maintain attention. So that's where I believe the simplicity is more important is when we're in a group setting, keeping it short, uh, you know, five, six, seven seconds at most, if you're going to stop a practice for me, uh, doing your work early for a staff is let's, let's come up with a practice plan and, and limit our talking so we can get to competing so we can get to playing where our guys are going to be able to learn and then we're going to be able to learn on what we need to get better at, what we need to spend some more uh, time on. All right. Uh, I've got a couple more questions for you. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I was just wondering, what's a misconception that, uh, or two that people might have about development and practice at the professional level? Um, I mean, it, it's hard for me to answer that because I've been, you know, I've been doing it for so long. I guess, why don't you tell me some of the conceptions that you have uh, about the pro level? I guess I would say that probably say that there's not a lot of skill work going on. Is that something that, that uh, is true? In terms of skill development, uh, it's interesting that you say that, that that's the perception. Uh, I, I would say that um, we actually have more skill development than practice time itself. Almost every day, I would say at least 60% of our days when we're at home in our practice facility, we'll have a, a player development, 20 minutes for each player. Uh, 20 minutes in the weight room, 20 minutes on the court. And pregame, we're going to have another 15-minute player development session for them. So that's one thing our organization prides itself on is is giving, making our players get better and improving. Um, 
And I think being a professional without, you don't have class to go to, you don't have, uh, you don't have as many distractions that are taking up your time. Uh, guys actually start buying into it and, and seeing their growth as a player, seeing how those skills are, are transferring over and they, they a little bit become addicted to it. And, and we have a great player development staff. Our coaching staff does a great job with it where we'll get guys in the gym at, at 9 p.m. We'll get guys in the gym at midnight. We'll get guys in the gym at one. And it becomes more of a, more of a, a passion and a love than it is a work or, or a job. Um, so that, that's definitely one thing that, that we spend a lot of time in. And I know in the NBA, because their staffs are bigger, they probably have even more one-on-one player development time where you're working on skills. Now they're more advanced skills, not your your simple footwork and simple passing, but they're there's still these skills that that we're looking at a Steve Nash or a Dwayne Wade or you know I mean you could even say the 21 year old phenom Luka Doncic is you can look at some of the things he's doing fundamentally and and, and learn from them. So uh, I think that would be naive to say that because at that level. Uh, if you think that these players are as gifted as they are with just their natural talents, uh, I think you would be um, pretty far off. All right. Uh, last question here. Have you had an aha moment in the last year or two when it does come to player development? I know you're, you're a head coach. Have you had that aha moment in the last year or two? Um, I think the one, one of the things that comes to mind when you ask this question is teaching decision-making. So teaching in a, in a team setting decision-making and helping guys through that. And I think that's something that we've d- done over the last couple of years that we've, we've found some success and, and how that would look would be, you know, a situation where you put one of your players on the wing with the ball uh, being guarded by a coach lightly. And then another player on the other wing without a ball and just in a two on two situation, you can add another player if you get more advanced and, and just having a coach guarding the, the other guy without the ball and putting him at the nail or in the middle of the key or the middle of the lane at the free throw line and making him, the guy with the ball, penetrate the nail and then see reading the defender. So if the defender stays in that position and keeps his chest in front of you, then just make that simple pass, advance past the next player where he can shoot it or drive it, whatever your next decision will be. Or if, if he drive at the nail, because a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of defenses are predicated to take away threes. Now, a lot of times when you drive at that nail, the defender will leave. So then just making that read, if he goes, then I'm going to get through the nail and get into the paint. So some of those decisions have, have, has really helped us just kind of simplify the game for our players. Another one is, you know, like reading pin downs or, or wide, wide pin downs coming out of the corner. If the guy trails you, keeping him on your back and then reading is the big stepping up to help or is he going to stay back? If he stays back, then I'm going to attack the rim. If he doesn't, if he comes up, then I can make the drop pass to the big. So just some of these simple decisions, I think slowing it down for, especially for us, for very talented guys who have never really thought or understand what they're doing, uh, but slowing it down and slowing them down has been very beneficial for us. All right, Coach. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us today. I know that there's coaches throughout the state that really appreciate this. And I just want to say, have a good rest of the summer, and hopefully we have a season. And you guys, uh, good luck there. I appreciate it. Thanks Thanks for having me on.
Thanks for listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at IdahoBasketballCoachingPodcast at gmail.com.